and deep in Japanese-occupied territory, uh, the Allied prisoners suffered terribly. They suffered beatings, they suffered heavy labor, they suffered malnutrition, disease, and death. And all of these prisoners suffered except for one. And that was an American corporal. And through cunning and through manipulation and through exploitation, this corporal, who was the king rat, made a fortune profiteering off of the captives and the captors alike. And so, while his fellow prisoners, their uniforms deteriorated into rags hanging off of their bodies, the corporal wore clean, fresh clothing. While the prisoners starved into walking skeletons, the American ate well at every meal. While the prisoners slaved under heavy labor and fell ill in disease, the American corporal took it easy in the shade and kept in the pink of health. Then the day came when the camp was liberated and the liberating officer goes walking through the camp and as he sees the prisoners, he is shocked and dismayed and distressed at their terrible suffering and misery. And then he bumps into the American corporal and he is stunned into speechlessness because the corporal is well-groomed, he's wearing clean clothes, he is fit, he is healthy, and he's cheerfully smoking a cigarette. And the liberating officer is appalled. Why? Why would he be appalled? The corporal had in fact absolutely succeeded completely in taking care of himself. But he had failed utterly as a man. He failed as a human being. Walker Percy, the famous Southern writer, he said, you can get all A's and still flunk life. Thomas Merton said, people spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find when they reach the top of the ladder that the ladder's been leaning against the wrong wall. And of course, this should all sound very familiar because Jesus has been warning us and warning us all along. He's been warning his disciples all along. He says, so what if you gain all the world that, that the world has to offer and lose your whole soul in hell forever? The warnings in scripture are constant. Be in the world, but not of it. Do not be friends with the world. Do not conform to the ways of the world. Keep yourself from being stained and polluted by the world. Why? Because, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Some have said popularly, and I think, I think it's, it's beautiful, they describe the kingdom of heaven as the upside-down kingdom because it's inverted from the ways of the world. The kingdom is altogether different from the world. It is a counter culture to the world. 
it has different values, it has different ambitions, it has different desires, different ways and purposes. It is, has radically different ways of measuring success in a life. Jesus said in the kingdom, it's the first who shall be last and the last first. In the kingdom, the greatest are, are those who serve. He who finds his place in the world will lose his place in heaven. He who loses his place in the, in the world will find it in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, it belongs to the poor and not the rich. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the feeble and not the strong, to the sincere and the humble and not the clever and sophisticated. The kingdom is not of this world because the king is not of this world. The king of kings, the, the Lord of glory, the sovereign creator and almighty majestic sustainer of all things came into this world to serve. Paul is telling the Philippians in, in chapter 2 of his epistle, he was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be clung onto, but instead he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Jesus says in Matthew 20, as we've heard, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And the word here for serve is diakonia. It literally is a waiter, somebody who waits on tables. Just think of somebody who waited on you. They were there to take care of you, to serve you, to get you whatever it was that you wanted. Diakonia, a servant. It's also, uh, what's also meant by the word is one who kicks up the dust. And what that means is that when you give an order, they move on that errand so quickly that there's a puff of smoke behind them as they go, kind of like in the cartoons. And from diaconia, we get the word deacon, to serve, servant. Jesus came into the world not to be served, not to be deaconed, but to serve, to deacon. And to Jesus, deaconing meant giving sight to the blind, healing the sick and the diseased, casting out the demons, feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, teaching good news to the poor, washing the feet of his servants, befriending the outcasts, caring for the widows, blessing the children, forgiving his persecutors, and sacrificing himself for his enemies. Why? Why did, why does Jesus deacon? Well, there are numerous reasons, but one is because of love. Jesus loves us, the unlovely, the pure and the perfect, the holy and clean Son of God loves the unlovely, the unclean, the impure, the unholy. And so what does he do with his love? He serves. 
He deacons us and them. Another reason is so that he, would, he could prove that he was the Messiah. He was the Savior, Jesus. John the Baptist, remember, he sends messengers. He's in prison. He sends messengers to Jesus. Are you the one, or should we wait for another? And Jesus responds. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. The Messiah Savior is serving his people. And then finally, Jesus deacons, Jesus serves in order to show us how to live our lives. He serves us to the uttermost, and then what he does is he commands us to go and do likewise. To love and to serve the poor, the needy, the weak, the feeble, and the oppressed, just the, in the same way that Jesus did. Amen. How did Jesus do this? Well, he did it through the example of his life day by day, but also he just simply taught us. He was explicit. He makes no mystery about this. Remember when he is uh, teaching on the, the, he teaches the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end, he says to the lawyer who wants to defend himself, which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who was robbed and left for dead, the needy one? And the lawyer said, well, the one who showed him mercy. Well, what did the Samaritan do? Well, he stopped and he gave his enemy kindness, friendship, advocacy, medical treatment, personal transportation, protection, a financial subsidy, shelter, and follow-up care. And Jesus says, that's right, go and do likewise. Remember Jesus' last night? He's having dinner with his disciples. And then suddenly he gets up from table and he strips off his clothes, wearing just the loincloth of a slave. And then he washes his disciples' feet. He does a very low and menial service to his disciples. And then he gets up and he dresses and he says to them, you call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Serving and deaconing is the king's love language. And serving and deaconing is the love language of the kingdom and the citizens of it. Jesus loved and served me. Who am I not to love and serve you? Who am I not to serve the needy and the weak? 
or the feeble and the defenseless. Especially in light of all that Jesus has taught us and the example that he set us in his life. This is where I belong. And this is where Bonhoeffer also thinks where we belong. He says in his book, Life Together, the Christian belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of the world, where the weak and the poor and the helpless and the oppressed are. That's where Jesus is. And then Bonhoeffer cites Luther. And I'm just going to just brace yourselves now. The kingdom, says Luther, is to be in the midst of your enemies, in the midst of the needy. Who, he who will not suffer this does not want to be in the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among his friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad or needy people, but with the devout or the pious. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? Come on, you're Lutherans for heaven's sakes. This is your... <laughs> anyway, uh, Luther uh, is, is never blunt, so he needs explaining. <laughs> But as you know, as we know, the, the need is always great. In the early church, the overseers of the mercy and justice ministries were needed. And so what happened is, is deacons were commissioned because the need was great. As, as uh, Christian read in Acts 6, now in these days, which is the same as our days, uh, the disciples were increasing in number and, com and a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, in this case, the particular is the widows, but what should be understood through the history of the, the needs of the church and the needs of the people is the widows represent the neediest and the most vulnerable of the people. And so the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In, order, in other words, to diakonia, because they're devoted to the, work, to the ministry of the word and the ministry of the sacrament, as, as Pastor Palmer uh, preached on last week. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, <clears throat> whom we will appoint to this duty. So what is needed is, is, uh, is good men who are devoted to this office of taking care of the needs of the needy in the church and then, as we see in history, outside. But don't misunderstand, and again, Pastor Palmer was very clear about this, the apostles continued to care for and to minister to the poor and the needy, the widows and the orphans, and the deacons, although they're, they're supposed to be focused on, the, on taking care of needs, they also were evangelists like Philip and apologists and proclaimers like Stephen. But the deacons were commissioned for this focus, not only to take care of the needs personally of the individuals, but also to mobilize and to organize and to lead the whole congregation in order to deacon and serve the needy 
in the same way that Jesus did. What kind of people are meant to be deacons uh, in the same way that, uh, that Pastor Palmer read through the qualifications for an elder? There are qualifications here for a deacon. Deacons are similarly should be men of discernment and conviction. I'm just paraphrasing now. Not hypocritical or loose with the truth. They should be sober and not of a mercenary spirit, meaning not using their office for some personal agenda. They should cherish the faith as a sacred trust with integrity. They should prove themselves beyond reproach over time. And then after they've demonstrated their faithfulness, then be commissioned as deacons. Women who serve should likewise be thoughtful, discreet, mature, and self-controlled. Women who can be trusted. And deacons should have only one wife and able to manage their children and household faithfully and wisely. Very similar to the qualifications of an elder. And why would somebody want to do such a thing? Well, in verse 13, uh, Paul says, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. There are rewards. And the rewards and blessings come in a superabundance. To be a deacon is an honorable calling. It is a labor of love. It is good and fruitful work in the spirit. And it brings mercy and compassion to those who need it, which is a great joy and satisfaction. Anybody who's ever served anybody else in great need knows exactly what I'm talking about. But there's something else. I'm not going to say this is perhaps the greatest, but it is at least equal. Matthew sa- uh, J- Jesus says in Matthew 25, this is, this is uh, calling to mind the, the great day. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the disciples at, uh, at the reading are uncomprehending. Lord, when did we minister to you? And he says, the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When we serve, when we deacon, the poor and the needy, the weak and the oppressed, the mentally ill and the refugee, the shut-in and the addict, the elderly and the single mom, the foster child and the disabled, we are, in reality, ministering to Jesus. And he receives it as such. Mother Teresa, who absolutely embraced this passage, when she helped others, it wasn't because it was the right thing to do. She ministered to them because deep in her soul, when she was washing the filthy, when she was caring for the disfigured and the dying, she saw and beheld and pressed close to her Jesus Christ. 
And as she says over and over again, this is Jesus here in distressing disguise. My brothers and sisters, this, this is success. This is a successful life. This is the life that is blessed now and blessed forever. This is life's glory and joy, happiness and fulfillment. It's deep contentment and thrilling delight. And as Paul says in verse 15, this is the way it is in the family of God, in the body of Christ, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth of this gospel. We are the ones who hold up the gospel and protect it and show forth the gospel and show its blessings to each other and to the world. Hallelujah and amen.